friends, welcome back for another episode of the It's Murder Y'all podcast. I'm your host, Amber, and with me today is a man who once placed second in a womanless beauty pageant, my husband, Rob. Hello, all. How are you? Y'all will never guess where this week's case takes place. Dun, dun, dun. Calhoun County, Alabama. That was supposed to sound like Forrest Gump. Um, this Alabama. Case- See, you're better at it than me. This week's case is one that I honestly thought was like a local urban legend when I was little. But then a couple years ago, I had this random conversation with my daddy and he randomly mentioned it. And I was like, that actually happened. That did not actually happen. And I looked it up and turns out it did actually happen. Like some real shit went down Um, and I'm going to tell you about it. So let's get started. Tell me more. I will. Phyllis Burdett was born Phyllis Triplett in 1953 in Calhoun County, Alabama. According to Social Security information from FamilyTreeSearch.com, she was born on July 7th, 1953, making her a cancer. But I couldn't find confirmation anywhere else that that was legit her birth date. Um, And it got some other information kind of wrong. So I can't say for certain. Um, But her childhood activities were very well documented by the Aniston Star. She played piano. She was a cheerleader at Sachs High School. And she was very involved with the pilot club. Rob, do you know what the pilot club is? They ain't flying no airplanes, I reckon. I reckon They ain't flying no airplanes. No, I, lo- <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up because I'd never heard of it. Um, and she was like, I mean, there were several articles in the newspaper with her and her mama being involved. Uh, so I looked it up and Pilot International is a community-based volunteer service organization founded in 1921 in Macon, Georgia, on the guiding principles of friendship and service through charitable projects, community service, education, and research. So to me, it kind of sounds like potlucks and shit. Well, yeah, I'm thinking like Girl Masons or like a, a story. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Eastern Star. Uh, there we go. I couldn't think of what the name of it was. Yeah. Um, The Aniston Star also documented several hospitalizations as well as a close call when her ex-husband tried to run her over with his car. Damn. He, missed, he missed, but he ended up hitting her car, and he was charged with third-degree burglary and attempted murder. <laughs> well, because he tried to burgle her life? What? Right, like, I, I, there was no burgling involved, <laughs> at least not in the story, but there was so much more I could have included, but, like, I didn't really want to put all of her stuff on blast. Such but a funny word. I'm sorry. The, I love burgle. But the <laughs> the stuff that they put in the newspaper back then, like, I don't know if it's just like how society was back then or if it's like a we're from well, a really on. small. Yeah. He, with his car, tried his to car. run her over, missed, yeah. hit her car, yep. was then charged with burglary and then what? Third degree burglary and attempted murder. Okay. I see. And he probably got like three and a half days in jail. Um, because it was the 70s. I think I think it was the 70s. Um, but yeah, no, they put all kinds of information. Like it literally, if you were in the hospital in Calhoun County back in the day, it was gonna be in the paper. Like, and also <laughs> like one time I was looking and like my mama had went and visited somebody in Birmingham and like they put it in the paper. Like, I don't want my business out there for everybody to know. But I digress. Oh, gal went and visited her her folk up in Birmingham. Just (laughs) thought y'all should know. I mean, technically down because Birmingham is like south. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay. so just put that in the paper? They legit did. I guess they didn't have. went to Birmingham. They didn't have anything else to talk about. So they just put everybody's business out there. Um, So so she had the almost getting murdered by an ex-husband. 
And then more bad luck followed Phyllis and those around her because her mama was robbed. I put robbed. I think she was actually mugged in downtown. She was burgled. <laughs> she was burgled and they put it in the paper um, in downtown Anniston in 1982. She was fine. And a man just like pushed her down on like Noble Street and took her purse. Uh, that is then, a 100% a burgle. That is a burgle. Uh, in 1986, a car ran into her family's store, the Fishnet, which is a tropical fish store at the corner of U.S. Highway 431 and Saks Road. I remember seeing that somewhere, I think, back so, in the day. When I'm about to explain where it is, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know exactly where that is. I just I remember the name Fishnet on a building. I'm pretty positive. You definitely saw it because it was there until like 1993. Explain gonna, where it was at? I'm going to. So. Okay. For you and all my people back home that are listening, uh, it's across. It's like across kind of catty corner ish to Chapel Hill Funeral Home. Um, the building. This may be too niche, niche, niche up for you, Rob. But my Alexandria people, it's where Wyatt Auto Sales was. Whitney Wyatt's daddy's auto shop. Daddy, <laughs> do you know where that like bread place is? Like past Win Dixie, going towards Aniston, there's like this bread yeah. place. Marita bread is it? Was I don't, it? I don't no, know, but no. it's it's like that little store on the corner next to this like old decrepit looking gas station. For sure. Yeah. Okay. There used to be like down in the like hole off to the left there. There was like it was like all kind of gas pumps in like um like a junkyard looking area down there, over in that okay. same area, right? No idea what you're talking about. I don't know. I know but, what you're talking about. Okay. Though. If I showed you the picture, which I probably should have done before we did this, uh, you would be like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, okay. For so sure. back, back to the story. So her family owned the fishnet tropical fish store, according to the Aniston star. That's a hell of a thing to have in Aniston. Right. Calhoun County. I mean, how many people really have tropical fish? But there used to be one in, what is that place that's between like Alexandria and Gadsden. Is it Glencoe? Yeah, I know yeah, there, that place. There yeah. used to be one in Glencoe. I lived at a foster home that went and bought fish from that place. Did you? They had a saltwater fish tank, as a matter of fact. I got my fish from fall festivals at Alexandria Elementary School. They were not saltwater fish. They were not, and they would die like yeah. two days later. So back to Phyllis and the fishnet. In, like I said, in 1986, a car ran into the fishnet uh but according to the innocent star quote the accident left fish all over the store's floor oh but, gosh but phyllis was able able to save most of them well that's that's good yes because I, I know all the people listening you have to know how the animals turned out at least she saved case, a few of the yellow tangs and the clownfish and whatnot yes, can't let nemo die on the floor of the fishnet no 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 so by the 90s. I wonder how what it sounded like with that many fish on the floor flopping at the same time. That sounds like a nightmare. I would not. That I would. I, would I wonder be if very, it sounded like little people clapping or something. <laughs> I would be anyway, very. Anyway, I'd be know. very. We're going off the rails. I would be very <laughs> stimulated. <laughs> by the 90s, things are looking up. She'd met uh, Phyllis had married her husband, Michael Burdett, whom she'd met when he came into the fishnet to buy some fish for his aquarium. That's <laughs> such a good name for a fish store. Mike said that Phyllis was, quote, an energetic woman who threw herself into anything she tried. She also teased him by calling him Uncle Scrooge, and she'd leave Scrooge McDuck knickknacks in his office at his pawn shop, which is super cute. So <laughs> you, I can't remember the name of it, but 
you know, there's like this pawn shop. A knickknack. I wonder if that's like a how a colloquial Alabama thing or like a southern thing. Because I like you. I feel like you have to be southern to know what in the hell a knickknack is. You know yeah, what I mean? I feel like people up north call them chopskis. I've heard that on the TikTok. Yeah. Um. But so, do you remember a pawn shop being behind Mato's Pizza? Oh, for sure. He it had like the like the super glittery yeah the like, like treasure treasure chest. box yeah for yeah. sure he owned that I don't know if he still does but he her husband Mike uh, owned that I'm also gonna start calling you Uncle Scrooge um <laughs> and I'm not gonna leave you Scrooge McDuck knickknacks because I don't I'm know. gonna swim in my pool of coins and do the backstroke <laughs> I forgot about that you just unlocked like a core memory right so. By not we're not. I have no idea how far we're in. We've not gotten anywhere near the crime. By 1992, 38 year old Phyllis had pretty much stopped working at the fishnet because she was managing rental properties that she shared with Mike. So typically, her mama Juanita Triplett ran the store, which was convenient because she lived right next door. Well, on Monday, May 18th, 1992, Juanita was on a church trip to Florida, so Phyllis agreed to man the fishnet in her mama's absence. So that afternoon, Juanita called the shop to check in with Phyllis, as mamas tend to do, but Phyllis didn't answer. Juanita's, oh. Juanita's mama's spotty senses started tingling, so she called Mike to go check on Phyllis and make sure everything was okay. Well, Mike is not a mama, and he had seen Phyllis just earlier when he had dropped off her lunch, and she was cutting up, being her usual funny, easygoing self, so he wasn't concerned. He dropped her lunch off at the fishnet? Yes, he took her lunch okay. at the fishnet. Uh, he figured she'd probably run to her mama's house to use the bathroom since the fishnet didn't have one, which. That's wild. Yeah. Like. Fishnet, get it together. Better hope you're not having an emergency. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe she'd walk to the gas station that I talked about that like is really old and decrepit now to get like. A See, snack. I feel like this, this is a scenario that has led up to many um, uh, a murder scenario in the 70s and 80s of people just like. Not having modern conveniences like we have, like bathrooms everywhere or like cell phones to like walk across a four lane highway. Well, I guess it was two lane at that time. Well, it was right next door. Oh, okay. But are you really going to take all the precautions to lock up and stuff if you're just walking next door to take a pee or if you're just going to get a drink? No, you're probably going to leave it unlocked. And then who yeah. knows who could be hiding in there? Um, we are not victim blaming, by the way. We are not. Um, no, I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't so, so Mike's no figuring <laughs> that, that she had just stepped out, but he finally relented and he asked his 21 year old stepson, Chris, so Phyllis's son, to go uh, check on his mama real quick. When Chris got to the fishnet, he noticed that the door was partially open. When he walked in, he saw his mama lying bloodied on the ground. She was alive, but barely. So Chris called 911 and Phyllis was transported to Caraway Methodist Hospital in Birmingham. Now, I can't remember exactly where Caraway used to be. It closed down in 2008. But depending on where in Birmingham it was, that could be an hour or more from SAC. So I'm going to assume they life-flighted her. For so sure. Chris called Mike and told him what he found. According to a later interview with the Innocent Star, Mike said that he didn't realize the magnitude of the situation. He understood that she'd been hurt and needed to go to the hospital. But in his mind, he was thinking, oh, you know, maybe an aquarium broke and like she cut her she cut her hand or something. She needed a few stitches. He didn't realize how bad it was until he got to the hospital. And sadly, later that evening, Phyllis passed away from her injuries. Oh, no. Yeah. So he was like, dang, she got cut up real bad. And all right. Of a she's like, gone. he's thinking, oh, you know, got cut, need some stitches. I'll probably, you know, 
pick at her for this as husbands tend to do. And then it turns out it was not that. And from Ooh, the, from the jump, Oh, I can't even imagine. Like I can't. And you know, I'm accident prone. Like the way that you sped from Winder to Athens, that time that I fell when I was pregnant <laughs> and you got there. I am, it, blew, it blew me away. I didn't have a ticket. I was driving just as much out the windshield as I was in the rear view mirror. looking for cops the whole time, dude. Yeah. That, that little would... jeep was a humming that was a, that was a <laughs> crazy day so from the jump there was a lot of confusion and misinformation about this case and honestly even to this day i still think anyone that remembers it i don't think remembers it correctly because even anison star got it wrong like they repeatedly reported that she'd been beaten mm-hmm. and shot even when they reported on the autopsy report which confirmed that she'd been beaten to death by a blunt instrument The autopsy report revealed that Phyllis had received at least 50 blows, most of them to the head. Damn. It's a miracle that she was even still alive when Chris got there. I was about to say, she was still, she was breathing alive or she was just like her, like on the brink. No, I mean, she was at least breathing because she didn't die till later that evening. And this happened some point in the afternoon. So, but they don't know exactly how long she'd been laying there. So, Police got to investigate immediately, but they didn't really have much to go on other than some potential eyewitnesses. So earlier in the afternoon of May 18th, Phyllis was chatting with two female customers when a young man walked into the store. This man boy was later described to be about 15 to 20 years old, 5'7 to 5'8, 140 to 150 pounds with a mullet. And the Anderson star went so went so far. It's 1992. No. The Anderson star went so far as to describe the mullet, quote, short in the front and long in the back, end quote, <laughs> as if no one in Calhoun County in 1992. My, my brother had a mullet in like 1987. It's so business in the front, party in the back. If you yeah, want a it is. correct it's description of it. Also a Kentucky waterfall. Yeah. So he was wearing a striped pullover shirt with white pants and it was okay because it was after Easter. So he could wear those white pants and he... <laughs> He had a short, broad nose, which was dusted with, quote, freckles or acne. Again, with these god-awful descriptions, like, why don't you just come out and say, like. He was ruddy. He's, I swear. Y'all, the number of times this man has called me ruddy since the last episode is just, I'm going to murder him in his sleep. And then we'll talk about him on this on an episode. I mean. But with these, they actually did not say say ruddy, and I'm shocked. But like with these descriptions, expand their vocabulary. I'm like, why don't you just come out and be like, yeah, this man's over the homemade sin with his stupid short, broad nose. Like, what does that even mean? A short, broad nose. I feel like as somebody who has a flat face, it would have a short, broad nose. Maybe so. And then also, that's my I don't know. My brain is telling me like someone who has a flattish face. Like freckles or acne, like I feel like there's a noticeable difference between yeah. freckles or acne. Like, get it together, people. Anyways, one of the ladies asked the guy if she could help him, but he shook his head and didn't say anything. The ladies left, and Phyllis was left alone with Mullet Man. Now, I don't want to put blame on nobody, but if you're in a store and it's just a female worker and some random dude, please don't leave them alone. Like just just piddle around until dude buddy leaves. Um, and I'm not blaming those women because they didn't know, but just public service announcement. I do would like to interject on that specific point. Like when I'm out and about in the world, if I ever catch 
I don't know if I'm ever going to catch a murderer vibe, but if I, if there's ever a dude in my vicinity or a person that is throwing out wild, sketchy vibes, if that's what I'm interpreting from their body language, I mean, I'm a people watcher, right? So I'm always looking for you just protecting you and the, and the kiddo, like, I don't know, just safety in general. I don't know. Anyway, like yeah. if I'm in a situation like that, if I were at me, that sketchy vibed person and the clerk, I'm going to hang out for a minute and ske- scope it out and, and, and see what's what and kind of, you know, especially if it's just me and that other crazy person or whatever the weird vibe dude person. Right. I feel like you like. I would a- at least suss it out. Like, A, you're a giant man, and, like... Oh, it's like a giant. Bruh, we had the conversation. You're, like, six inches taller than the average man. <laughs> you are not a small person. No. Um, And you also... You were a trained killer. Um, <sighs> So, I feel like those situations are a really good chance for you to use your male privilege in, like, a good way. Because if I... Like I would stay so that she didn't feel alone, but I'm just also going to be a victim because how am I going to protect us? Right. Unless I have my emotional support water bottle and I can use it as a weapon. Like there, I have zero skills to save me or, or anyone else. But so uh, the identity of this mulleted mystery man would plague investigators for decades. So at this point, we're still in 1992 Police had no suspects, and they were thinking that maybe robbery could be the motive, but they weren't sure. Phyllis's purse, which family members told police may have contained nine $100 bills, was missing. The cash register remained locked during the attack. So if they took anything, it could have been Phyllis's purse with $900. Um, Kenny Burdett, Phyllis's brother-in-law, said that they didn't keep much money in the store, so he couldn't understand why robbery would be a motive. As the weeks passed, the case was turning cold and police were desperate for help. The Aniston PD reached out to the FBI, hoping their behavioral science unit could put together a psychological profile of the killer. I never could find anything that came from that, though. On June 27th, Alabama Governor Guy Hunt issued a $5,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction in the murder of Phyllis Burdett. And I looked it up. That would be almost $11,000 in 2023 dollars. You can do a lot with eleven grand right now, right? Especially well, in Calhoun County. Buy about a week's worth of groceries. <laughs> yeah, buy some eggs. <laughs> um, so by March of the next year, nineteen ninety three, Phyllis's mama was getting pissed. She told the Aniston Star, "Quote: They, meaning the police, haven't done anything on it. I don't know what's to be done." And that kind of ruffled the feathers of Aniston Police Captain Mike Fincher, who defended his team, saying they were working on the case as vigorously as possible. So at this point, police were still convinced that the robbery was a possible motive, but Phyllis's family was still adamant that it wasn't because they argued that, A, the store never kept much money on hand. I mean, it's a tropical fish store in, like, rural Alabama. They're not going to be balling. And then, B... So they're saying this was, like, like a crime of passion or, like, a, like a, somebody that knew her? Potentially, yes. Okay. Uh, um, and then Juanita said that no money was missing, which was a little confusing because, yes, no money was missing from. But the 900 out of her purse was missing. or whatever. Right. Her purse was missing. Miss um, Juanita couldn't understand how they'd operated the fishnet for over 20 years and never had any trouble aside from the car crash in 86. 
She actually ended up closing the store in August of 1992, saying that after Phyllis was murdered, she just couldn't stand to be in there. And I can't say I blame her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, aside from white auto sales, I don't think anything has stayed in that building terribly long. I've also heard that it's haunted, but I feel like that's the case when anybody gets murdered somewhere, people say it's haunted. I I, I think, I, I don't know. Have you seen a ghost in that store? No, 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 no. I No, I feel like, that there are m- multiple places amongst Calhoun County that catch its haunted vibes or, or, you know, you hear people, but you know, it's all hearsay and people say this and people say that shit. It's actually on the internet, which really, um, yeah, that it's I, haunted over that there. It, that it's haunted. Yeah. Cause I'd heard, I'd heard like something that, about the, the, the red light over there or like that because of people seeing something it's caused or like the red light getting messed with or something it's caused wrecks or, oh, or I'm some shit she, like that yeah because there is a red light right in front or of it. something like that i like you know and i I could be completely wrong but i remember hearing something to that effect or something over in that specific area being spooky see this makes me wish that, that we were like back home so that like i could really go in and investigate this stuff um because that was one i hadn't heard what i'd heard was that another person had also died in that building that i've not been able really to confirm. yes but i think that might just be a rumor wow. um so the rumor mill gets to go in an old calhoun county oh, it, it really does so two weeks after miss juanita told the paper about how frustrated she was the aniston pd learned of a murder two hours away that had similar vibes to that of Phyllis's. So, oh, shit. 39-year-old Janet Fanich was found dead in her exotic pet store, Pet Kingdom, in Doraville, Georgia, on April the 15th, 1993. Janet's husband, Alex, had spent part of the day running errands. Then he picked up their three daughters, ages 15, 14, and 10, from school. When Alex and the girls returned to the store, which was also their home, the front door was locked. Alex and at least one of his daughters found Janet dead in their living area in the back of the shop. According to her autopsy report, Janet died from a single gunshot wound to the head. It also appeared that the store had been robbed. So side note, I was going to include this, but I was afraid it would make the episode too long. Like in that same area, another lady got shot in the head, like shot in the head. Did that they confirm too. that the other lady from the, the fishnet got shot or that no. they, or no, no, she was, and that, that she was beaten, right? Yes, like but, 50 times. Okay. I got you. But the Anderson okay. star did report a few times that she was shot. Um, and that's what I, okay. That's what you said. I got I, you. I'm tracking. I think that it's just, it was such a bloody crime scene that right, they like right. assumed, but yeah. So um, there was a lady that was murdered mm. in her car this like the same day that janet was murdered they ended up finding the person that murdered that woman um and they there was no connection between that and this it was just a really weird coincidence because that was like the Uh, i think the only two murders that they'd had in like forever people Um, just were murdering the shit out of each other man back then maybe they still are but i feel like i don't know Looks harder to get away with murder these days. It is, which is good. So the pet kingdom was in a strip mall. So police canvassed the area for witnesses or really anybody that had been in the store between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Because Alex left at 10 a.m. to go run errands and they came back at 3. They couldn't find anybody. Sang and Sun Lee, the owners of the dry cleaners next door, said they didn't hear anything suspicious. But earlier that day, customers had come into their store asking why the pet shop was closed. 
Mrs. Lee said that the open sign was on the door, but when she tried to open it, it was locked. She tried to look inside the store, but didn't see anything. She didn't think anything of it until later that afternoon, around 3 p.m., when one of the Fanich daughters ran in crying and used their phone to call 911. So I had to throw this next part in just because it was so funny to me. Mr. Lee, uh, Mrs. Lee's husband, uh, a Korean immigrant who'd run a business in Harlem for 13 years, admitted that he was surprised at what had happened, but not scared, saying, quote, I come from New York City. I'm not nervous. Like, <laughs> Like, sir, you I like, wish y'all would come over here and fuck with my dry cleaning. Right. So <laughs> for the next two months, investigators plowed through dozens of calls and leads, but they weren't any closer to solving the case. Of course, police questioned Janet's husband, Alex, because hashtag the husband did it. But in this case, the police don't seem to think that the husband did it. And that's where it ends for the Janet Vanich case. I used all of my FBI level. Like, good- still completely? Still completely. I used all of my FBI level Googling skills and I was only able to find four articles ever about the case. The last one was in June of 1993. So like two months after the murder, her killer has never been found and her brutal murder seems to have been forgotten. Damn. Right. So back in that Alabama. That would make me so sad. So sad. I know. Uh, I would, I would. Whew. I'd and have I feel, to get me a therapist about that shit. <laughs> I feel like um, our daughter asked, we were, we were watching a league of their own earlier and it got to the part where I think it's Betty Spaghetti's husband dies. And our daughter was like, how would you react if they told you daddy died? And I was like, you know, I'm a crier. Like I can't handle this conversation right now. So I feel like losing a spouse. You start be- crying almost a little <laughs> it's sad um, what did you tell her i could, didn't answer the question because i knew i was going to cry she's gonna make fun of me i told oh. her that i didn't that i had no idea um <laughs> but i feel like i can't imagine losing you a would for sure sob i, I feel like i would probably Maybe. i would faint you know you know how i am you um because like think about it phyllis was a year older <laughs> catch a forehead scar for sure phyllis was the same age as you because you're old. I'm not quite there yet. I still have a solid like three months before I'm 38. But Phyllis was 38. Janet was 39. So not like the best looking 38 year old you'll ever see. Maybe you're killing me. Um. So <laughs> that's two husbands. And then also I feel bad if the husbands legitimately didn't do it, which we know. Spoiler alert that Mike didn't do it. Um. And we're assuming that Alex didn't either. But you've lost your wife. But also you're gonna have those people that. Or like, yeah, the husband did it. That's oh, just, yeah. And you know, just, the rumor mill, boy. Woo. Oh, for sure. And the folks um, that believe and then the folks that for sure think he did it, regardless. Yes. And Alex was, I can't remember where he, he was an immigrant. And so that would add a, just a whole different level too, because you know how people are. Um, mm. So it was just an awful situation. And I hate that all these years that him and, and their daughters haven't gotten any um resolution but so back in Alabama I would just move out of town bro to be honest I would just pack up and move out of town they did I found like one thing on like ancestry.com um it showed that he had he had moved like really far away I I would for sure so back in Colorado or some shit back in Alabama it seemed as though Phyllis Burdett's case was destined to be forgotten too just like Janet's but then in 2009 the Calhoun County cold case unit reopened the case Two retired investigators, Max Kirby, which I don't know why that name sounds familiar, and Larry Sylvester, led the charge to find out who killed Phyllis Burdett and why. 
They began pouring back over the old case files to see if there was anything they could find to crack the mystery of what happened between the time that the two ladies left and the time that Phyllis's son found her dead. So here's what they knew. They knew the young man. Do you know the, the amount of time that was? We don't. Okay. Well, I'm assuming someone does, but I couldn't find it in any of the research. They knew that a young man had been left alone with her, but they weren't sure if he was involved. They theorized that based on her injuries, the attacker may have been a woman or a young man. They figured that an adult man could have killed her with a few strong blows, as opposed to the numerous blows Phyllis had received. So, like, this is going to sound morbid, but if you beat me with something, it wouldn't take many hits because you are much bigger than me and I'm a dainty little flower. Um, you are. <laughs> so, But, like, if I had tried to beat you to death, we'd be there for a while. I would have to incapacitate you somehow first and it would take a lot of blows. So that's, I guess that makes sense. It would of, depend on what you were hitting me with. You know what I mean? It just well, depends. The The skull is, is a fragile and a weirdly strong thing at times, man. It just depends. If it was too heavy, though, I wouldn't be able to lift it. <laughs> so like I wouldn't be able to use anything super powerful and my arms would get tired really fast. But no, like, Think about it though. Think of well, if you, you were gonna bat, if you were gonna bash my head in, you'd be real pissed, real yeah. pissed, and that pissed anger would fuel you for at least a good minute or two, and past the point of you feeling your muscles being tired. But I would overexert myself, and then I'd you oh I'd yeah, you'd out. faint, you'd faint for sure after the fact. You and then you'd be noodle armed for a good day or two for sure. But I might could yeah. get away with it if I fainted too. I'd be like, oh, they attacked me too. Anyways. Back to back to Phyllis. <laughs> oh, I can't even move my arms. Look. <laughs> so, like I said, she had been hit fifty times. Because, okay, one last That's thing. So rowdy, dude. Because again, thank y'all for those of you that don't know. Rob is a big guy, six three, very strong. Like, can you ima imagine? I almost went very like Minnesota without imagine. Um, can you imagine? That's not even Minnesota. I don't think. Anyways, can I you can you imagine you? hitting someone in the head 50 times they wouldn't have nothing left that would be like a, a watermelon situation so it goes to show that whoever did this probably wasn't terribly strong and so in the words of the amazing erica kelly from southern fried true crime keep that in your back pocket so they felt like that's the synopsis from that, because they hit, hit her so many times, they weren't that strong. Yes, and that is going to make sense later. Yeah, dot, but 50, dot, regardless of strength, my goodness. Rob, dude. trust me, dots will get connected, and it will all make sense. You have to trust me. Okay. Okay, so they felt like two items could be integral to solving the case. Phyllis's purse and the murder weapon. So Phyllis's purse was missing despite the fact that it was hidden in a place that only those that were really close to Phyllis knew about. It was below the cash register behind some bags. Oh. So not everybody would know that, right? Because I mean, right. so, and the cash register again hadn't been touched. Then there was a the murder weapon, which the killer must have taken with him or her as it has never been found. Investigators wondered if it was something that was already in the shop, like maybe a hammer or a wrench, which begs the question, mm -hmm. Did this person intend to kill Phyllis that day? Because one would think that if you were going to go there with the express purpose of killing somebody, you'd want to bring a weapon with you and not just hope that there would be something laying around in a fish store. So could it have been a crime of passion? Investigators felt that if it had been a crime of passion, the, the killer probably 
would have left the weapon behind, which I'm not really sure why they would think that. Um, but it would be another two and a half years before investigators would get any answers. So in December of 2011, authorities arrested Joseph Lee Fair Jr. for the murder of Phyllis Burdett. According to officials, they'd been contacted the previous year by someone in the community who claimed to have who claimed to have information linking Fair to the murder. Also, at this point, it's been almost 20 years. Like you're just now coming forward. So Phyllis's husband, Mike, said that investigators had mentioned Fair to him two years earlier. Interestingly enough, Mike knew Joseph, whom everyone called Joby. So I'm assuming it's pronounced Joby because my daddy's name is Job, like from the Bible. Yeah. And it, it looks like Job with an I-E on the end of it. So it might could be pronounced Joby, but I'm going with Joby. Um, so Mike that sounds good to me. Mike. Phyllis's husband had coached Joby's youth baseball team, and apparently Joby had been known to hang around the fishnet. And now, all these years later, Joseph Joby Fair had confessed to the murder of Mike's wife in that very fish store. Wow. Um, I'm also probably... How old would he be at the time? Young as shit, huh? Yeah, I'm going to give you all the details. I don't want to give anything away. I'm probably going to switch back and forth between Joby and Joseph, depending on the vibes. So just know, Joby, Joseph, same dude. So Cowan County Sheriff Larry Amerson, I was friends with his grandson in high school, said that investigators I worked with his granddaughter. Uh no, 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 no. Never mind. That was a different person. Yeah, because I was gonna say the person I know doesn't have a sister. Yeah. Anyways. Never mind. Scratch um, that. So Larry Amerson said that investigators had interviewed Joseph several times over the years. And during one of those interviews, he confessed. When investigators asked him why he had never told anybody about the murder, he replied, quote, nobody ever asked me. So what? Stay with me. When I first read that, I literally wrote in my notes, I want to punch him. But then when I dive deeper into the case and into his life story, I got some context and it made his response a little less douchey. Like he, he still sucks. He did beat a woman to death. Was he like uh, Asperger's or is he on the spectrum or some shit? Dots are going to connect. Just stay with me. So who is this? Joby- dots, baby. <laughs> who is this Joby Fair character? Well, Joseph Lee Fair Jr., a.k.a. Joby, was born on June 9th, 1960, making him a Gemini. From ooh, Which means he, he would have been 32 when he did this. Anyways, from what I gathered, he spent most of his young life in the Saks area and was a pretty good baseball player. He was mentioned in the Aniston Star several times in the late 70s as a seemingly integral part of the Sachs High School baseball team, even being named top hitter in 1977. In February of 1982, Joby, who was 21 years old at the time, was profiled in the Aniston Star for being a local hero. According to the paper, he and a friend were working to remove the engine of a 1970 Camaro. As his friend was under the car, the jacks that were supporting the car gave way, and because there were no wheels on that side of the vehicle, the friend was pinned to the ground. In a moment of superhuman strength, Joby lifted the car up, allowing his friend to crawl out from under the vehicle. The friend was taken to Aniston Regional Medical Center, or RMC, treated, and released. Joby told the paper, He's bruised up real bad. His lungs were bruised. He was under the A-frame, and he has an A-frame impression on his chest. So, I know nothing about cars. So, question A for you, Robert, can, yes, you ex- can you explain the A-frame? Okay, no, I have a different question. 
1970 Camaro real heavy? I mean, any vehicle from the 70s is generally pretty heavy. Okay. Because uh, so, they're all like, a lot of them were like steel-bodied steel back then. So question number two, what is this A-frame that he is referring to? Uh, Like the skeleton of a car, like the rails, like the rails that the, the wheels and the suspension and the motor and the body of the car that's the body of the car sits on the frame the a frame okay. so my third it's question like the is, skeleton of a, of a car basically my third question is is if this big ass heavy 1970s car fell on this dude how the hell did it not squish him I mean, I I said there weren't any wheels on one side, one side or one the front or the back. I don't remember what you said there, but yeah, I mean, on the side that the jack was, there weren't no wheels. There weren't no wheels <laughs> on that side yonder. <laughs> weren't no wheels at all on that yonder side over yeah over there. Um, I'm working on a doctorate, and I still don't have a, a firm grasp on when to use was and were. So, anyways, that weren't it. Nope. <laughs> and then also, uh, it's a so a lot of vehicles and from the seventies had like a higher ground clearance in general than vehicles do now a days. You know what I mean? Even sports sportier cars kind of sat higher off the ground, kind in general. You know what I mean? Right. So um, that's a, probably one thing, and I mean it also depends on you know where it, how his body was orientated under the car how it landed i mean orientated yeah you know <laughs> if if he was you know how if, if he was only halfway under there if he was you know if he just was stretched out and had his arms under there and so he could he wasn't all like he was pinned but but i mean it was enough know. that like it left the frame print on his chest it sounded like no matter the situation that, that that gentleman got lucky as shit. And so my last question, potentially last question is, do you think that you could lift a 1970 Camaro off of a friend? I'd blow my back out trying. <laughs> you would. You're a good friend. So talking to the paper, when asked how everything went down, JB said, it just flipped me out. I didn't know what to do. I guess it was God's gift. There wasn't nobody else around, and it probably would have killed him. Doctor told him it was a wonder he came out as good as he did. At six one and 165 pounds, Joby couldn't believe he lifted the car, saying, I knew I couldn't pick it up, but I guess my adrenaline got going, and I picked it I mean, up. That's and, one thing, too, you know. And here he comes out from under it. So I don't think I addressed this somewhere else, but if you think back to the, to the description that the ladies had of the person in the fish store, they said that this person was like, Five seven five eight, one forty one fifty. Well, scrawny. Yeah, but Joby was six one. There's a big difference between five seven. And it and sounds six, like even with adrenaline, strong enough to lift a car, a seventies model car, and not like he's not. It's not like he. It sounds like he didn't lift it like feet or like he didn't have to. He lifted it just far enough and just high enough for his friend to just get out from under. You know what I mean? Right. So he probably lifted it a total of, let's be generous and say three inches, maybe. That's in my opinion is probably what it sounds like. And so just enough where his buddy could slide up from under there. But that makes sense. Still, 
you you can't be weak to do shit like that. You know what right. I mean? You got to at least have core strength, leg strength. You know, you, you can't be weak. So like that, at least for a little bit, made him a local hero. Like he got a big O yeah, right, right up yeah. in the paper. Well, one month after saving the life of one friend, Joby would cause the death of another. On March 28, 1982, Joby and a friend, Jeffrey L. Brown, were driving down Saks Road when Joby's car ran off the road and overturned. Both Joby and Jeffrey were thrown from the vehicle. Sadly, Jeffrey was pronounced DOA at RMC at about 1.45 a.m. Joby was rushed to RMC and then transferred to the University of Alabama Birmingham Medical Center, where he remained in the ICU for a month. Damn. As documented in the case files after his 2011 arrest, Joby suffered a traumatic brain injury in the 1982 crash, leaving him with severe brain damage, diminished cognitive functioning, and severely impaired motor skills. He lived under the supervision of his mother from the time of the accident until around 2006, at which point he was moved to a nursing home, which is where he lived when he was arrested. So we're going to talk a little bit more about his condition in a minute when we get to the trial, but I want to take a moment just to talk about a few things. So when I was researching this, I made a note to myself, how did his condition not impede his attack on Phyllis? But if you think about the investigator's theory that it was a man or a younger man, I'm sorry, a woman or a younger man, it makes sense. So although he was 6'1 and over 165 pounds, potentially at the time, maybe his physical limitations prevented him from dealing the fewer, harder blows that investigators thought an adult man would give. So to clarify, that traumatic brain injury, it it changed him. Like he was no longer like a functioning adult, essentially. Um, and he also had, we're gonna talk about in a minute, a lot of physical limitations. So that's why it would make sense that it would take him 50 blows to see but this is and this is just me i'm not a doctor but i don't know i have unfortunately experienced just from unfortunate events in my life multiple different types of head injuries and i can tell you that even let's just cut it in half and say at, tw at 25 she was pretty hosed Pretty, pretty fair to say at 25, she was, it was a wrap for sure at that point. Right. But uh, she was like, you know what I mean? But I feel like, I don't know. I, and she lived for how long after the fact? A few hours. Yeah. I, I mean, granted. Yeah. But I feel like, see, to me, it sounds like in his brain, I think maybe, yeah, because of his diminished physical abilities from his, from his accident or whatever, I think, but once he got started and uh, uh, I think that he probably like snapped and then just was like kept going because other shit not related to that specific incident there. He was just like, well, I'm here killing this person now. I might as well get the rest of this shit out and just. And the adrenaline came out. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And he just kept, kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on. That's that's my theory. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. So you know, not because he couldn't get her in the first twenty five. You know what I mean, or the first ten. I think you know. It, it, it's what was it? They don't know what he was hitting her with, though, right? It was they never found it. No, 
Yeah, um, but so it just we, depends on. But we are going to talk about his physical limitations in a second. So I want to see sure. how your opinion changes after you hear that. But so the next thing I had was, according to my research, over the years, Joby pleaded guilty to a series of misdemeanor charges in Gadsden. He got two charges for criminal harassment in 1994. So that was two years after the murder in 2001 and an additional criminal trespassing charge from 2001. So my question is, Mama Fair, what are you doing? Like, I thought you were supposed to be supervising your son. Like, you know, he. Yeah, but you know how folks are like that. You know but like, I mean? I mean, he he had a major cognitive deficit. Like. I would also have been concerned about someone like hurting him or taking advantage of him. But also after the right. first after the first criminal harassment charge, like, come on. So, OK, finally. TBIs, traumatic brain injuries. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute because I added more information about it. But so for those of you who don't listen to a lot of true crime, thank you, friends of mine who are just listening to this podcast because you love me. Here's the deal with Appreciate TBIs. Y'all. Yeah, here's the deal with TBIs. They are thought to lead to criminal behavior as many serial killers experience head trauma to the point that it's kind of joined the like torturing animals and wetting the bed as indicators of someone being prone to homicidal tendencies. So I definitely don't wet the bed. Uh, thank God. <laughs> Do you torture animals? No, no. Okay. No. So knowing that he suffered a TBI and committed a murder makes him just makes him another statistic, which again, we'll discuss more in a minute. So back to 2011, Joseph slash Joby confesses he's arrested at his nursing home in Fife, Alabama, and he's put in jail due to his diminished cognitive and impaired, I'm sorry, diminished cognition and impaired mental functioning. His attorney claimed that Joseph had difficulty comprehending the situation. When asked if he understood why he was in jail, Joseph said that he didn't. According to the lawyer, Joseph has trouble speaking and was very difficult to understand and communicate with. Because of those factors, Joseph pled not guilty by reason of mental disorder and defect, and he was ultimately found mentally incompetent to stand trial and was placed in the Taylor Hardin Secure Mental Facility in Tuscaloosa. So two things. Number one, I feel like in Alabama, like you legit got to be mentally incompetent for them to grant you mentally incompetent. Like, you know, they love to go with some capital murder, death penalty shit. Like, so he legit had yeah, it bad. But they, the, the, even the 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 money hungry system that is well we'll not get into that and the the government local government especially knows that the jail and prison is not set up to handle people like that like they can handle regular run of the mill murders and and burglars and <laughs> shit but you know they're not they're they're not they don't have the facilities to handle crazy people with with limitations and shit like that. That actually makes a lot of sense, and that's going to connect to something. So it makes sense that they would be like, "Look, man, you know, we can put him here. They can lock him in a room, and he's is still he's still locked up. You know, right? They just, you know, they're going to feed him some pills and make him hella sedated all the time, and make sure you know his crazy don't accidentally fall out." So the other thing was when I first read this, I confused the Taylor Hardin mental facility with Bryce hospital that used to be on the campus of the university of Alabama. Bryce hospital was once the Alabama insane hospital, which I always heard about Bryce. And I could literally see it from my dorm sophomore year. And it scared the bejesus out of me. Cause I was like, 
That's a what if someone escaped? Ominous looking and landscape like, out there. And like the the campus, I hear our kid moving around. The campus was gorgeous. Like it was like this whole big campus, like on the fringes of Bama's campus. Um, but this is not that place. Harden is three minutes away from campus over on Jack Warner Parkway. So it's yeah. you know, still uncomfortably close to campus. So connecting to what you said a minute ago about prison not being equipped in 2014, Joseph was released from the Taylor Harden secure medical facility because the hospital review board unanimously agreed that he could not be restored to competency and he needed to transfer to a facility that could better care for his medical needs. According to an affidavit, Dr. Robert L. Bayer, a psychologist at the Taylor Harden Secure Medical Facility, stated that, quote, since his motor vehicle accident 30 years ago, Mr. Fair has exhibited a number of behavioral changes, including impulsivity, affective lability. I had to Google that. It basically means it's the tendency to experience strong and variable emotions. So I'm guessing like severe mood swings or outbursts, sexually inappropriate behavior, memory impairment, and right-sided hemiparesis. Also had to Google that, but... I was pretty sure from context clues, it means that he was paralyzed on the right side. So again, that goes back to how was he able to do what he did if he's paralyzed on one side? It, I do Maybe think- Maybe at the time, you know, it sounds like the older he got, the worse it, it became. So maybe at the time of the murder that, you know, it was only at a certain point where he could, I mean, obviously- Maybe, it, I mean, she was clearly lived for a couple hours after the fact. So, you know what I mean? If it, if, if I had hit somebody 50 times in the head with anything, they, I'm pretty certain they wouldn't be breathing. You know what I mean? They like, I, have I know how hard I, I mean, I was hitting roots that are, you know, four inches, three, four inches thick in the yard with a hatchet and, and, cutting them completely in half in two swipes you know what i mean that's yeah if you know you, not even 25 you know what i mean it's like i would it would would it would be a really bad situation like but, if you hit, hit somebody yeah. 50 times like they wouldn't even have, if you know go ahead they wouldn't have a head for sure so the doctor went on to say that quote mr fair currently carries psychiatric diagnoses of mood door mood disorder nos NOS meaning not otherwise specified, secondary to traumatic brain injury. So basically that means that he definitely has some shit going on, but he doesn't meet the, <laughs> the specific criteria for mood disorders like bipolar or major depression. He has dementia NOS, possibly secondary to TBI and personality disorder NOS, secondary to TBI. So basically he's showing like signs and symptoms of these things, but not enough to meet the full um, diagnosis. Additionally, he carries medical diagnoses of head injury NOS, right hemiparesis, chronic kidney disease NOS, and pure hypercholesterolemia, Whew, that was a big one, which is genetic high cholesterol. So basically all of his conditions, with the exception of the genetic high cholesterol and maybe the chronic kidney disease, were a result of his car accident in 1982. So he's real bad off. Like he can't really talk good. Like he, he can't. He, you can't understand him. He doesn't know what's yeah. going on. Like he's got a mood disorder, personality disorder, dementia. Like he really was, he, there's no way that a, a prison, like you said, would, would have been able to accommodate him. So not at all. Joseph, no. 
Joseph Fair was placed into a group home where staff would be able to care for his medical needs and also provide security and 24-hour supervision on a locked unit. And from what I could find, he's still there. So while Phyllis's family was able to get some solace in knowing who murdered her, I would imagine it'd be really frustrating to not know why. Like he didn't rape her. He didn't try to take money from the cash register. So like what would have happened to make him snap and beat her to death? And sadly, we're never going to know. No, for sure. For sure. That's all I'm saying. Like that traumatic brain injury shit, you know. Like that. Yeah, who knows? Who that knows? would be so frustrating. You know what could have? I mean, may, maybe is they were saying that you know his behavior was sexually inappropriate maybe you know he was alone with her for a minute or two or whatever and made an advance and she started you know no get off of me and things got out of hand and you know what i mean right that's a good point you know that's that's kind of what it sounds like to me maybe honest it could be something like that it could also be so if he had the affective lability where he has random outbursts, like no. she may have not that she did anything, but something may have triggered that and he may have snapped. So I think that the best that we're going to be able to get is speculation, because at this point he's like 63 yeah. and all this information I found was from like 10 years ago. So I'm sure it's he's even it's even worse. So a couple more things. I want to talk a little bit more about traumatic brain injuries. Mm-hmm. So. According to a new uh, to a paper published in the neuro the neuropsychological rehabilitation journal, TBI is the leading cause of disability in children and working age adults and adolescent. And adolescence is a particularly risk period for injury. That was a weird sentence. So let me repeat that. So TBI it's the leading cause of disability in children and working age adults. And then adolescence is a particularly big risk period for injury because adolescents do dumb shit that can cause them to get brain injuries. Mm -hmm. So moderate to severe TBI, which is defined by loss of consciousness, consciousness. Yeah. Of 10 minutes to six hours or more is typically associated with neuropsychological deficits. I put a lot of hard words in here, behavioral problems and poor social outcomes. So essentially if you are out for more than 10 minutes, then the chances of you having some kind of after effect is a lot. How long was I out when I fainted that time in Charlotte? Man, that's tough to remember. I know that was a long time ago. It was not 10 minutes. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't 10 minutes. Um, So in males, the rates of TBI across all severities are given as between 5% and 24%. So to put that in kind of layman's terms, if you look at dudes and i'm we're going with people assigned male at birth the rate of tbis are like five percent to 24 percent of dudes have had a tbi and i would imagine that that number is higher than women because dudes be doing crazy shit i know for a fact that i have experienced i've been i know i've experienced some tbi and not been knocked unconscious and i know i've for sure been knocked unconscious for uh maybe a minute or two at least twice in maybe 30 seconds or less at least four times that i can remember i'm so glad i wasn't around for any of those because i would not have handled that well well a few of them i was young and then a couple of them most of it was like 
I mean, because we've I've known you seventeen. Oh, when years. I was a kid, I I would do dumb shit on a bicycle, and I you would you weren't supervised a, even with a helmet on. You know, I wore a helmet. I had a helmet on the two times. You wore but, a helmet. Boy, I wore a helmet on the bicycle. Well, I, I was I used to jump ramps, Bruh. like a very poorly constructed ramps. It, I, even my nerdy ass didn't wear a helmet. I never even owned a helmet. Well, my buddy had a helmet. And when we would jump the ramp, we would, everybody, we would, that was the helmet. We would at least have the helmet on. You know what and, I mean? And a lot of head loss, probably. Maybe so. Um. So here's what's interesting. So average male population, 5 to 24% have experienced a TBI. Now, if you look at the the prevalence of TBI in the adult prison population, 25 to 87% of men in prison have had a TBI. I mean, it's a violent place. Even if you don't get it, the the brain injury in prison right. or before prison, you're going to probably get one there. But that's a whole thing of like, that's why pe- researchers think that TBIs fuck your brain up and can cause you to like do crimes. More crimes. Yeah. yeah. Be yeah. murdering, burgling. Um, so a study comparing the rates of TBI in non-offending and offending youths Utes showed Utes. the offenders <laughs> the offenders had a higher level of TBI. So young offenders were more likely to have had TBIs and reported incidents indicating greater biochemical forces, such as fights and road accidents versus sports injuries. So basically what that says is that people that were offenders that had TBIs, it's not because they were playing football like my uncle Paul and got to it was fights. because they got in fights or car accidents or whatever. Yeah. And then Findings suggest that early recognition and intervention when there is a TBI in childhood could be a measure of crime prevention. So if we know that there can be a link between TBIs and crime, if we look out for TBIs, then that might help minimize some of the crime. Um, all I can stop I, hitting folks. I know this is really weird, but like I didn't really hear about or know about TBIs. Until, remember that game when Bama and Florida played and Tim Tebow got the shit knocked out of him and he was like throwing up in the cart on the way to the. <laughs> yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember that. Like that conversation sparked like a, a conversation about TBIs. I was like, well, I did not know that's what that was. So bless his heart. And then, you know, yeah. Dale Jr. with as many concussions as he had, let's help. And that's what it. made him retire. And it makes you wonder like, because my uncle Paul, he was he was racing with concussions undocumented from like 2004 all like the that, way up to his retirement. Like that's so he retired scary. in 2017. Yeah. Like I don't know if we ever talked about this or if you remember, but they think that one reason my so my uncle Paul ended up dying of essentially like dementia or mm-hmm. Parkinson's. They think it was from all of the um, concussions he had. <laughs> they said when he was playing football. But it was Uncle Paul, so let's be real. He, you know, he probably got into some bar fights too. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and with his hip, I'm, I imagine he fell a few times. And, oh, for sure. I mean, do you he, not remember? He drank like a fish. Do you remember the night of our wedding? Oh, I vividly, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um. So for y'all listening, just the short story. My uncle Paul, he was hilarious. He was a character. Um. He had an artificial artificial hips, and so he couldn't walk good, and he got drunk after our wedding. And he fell and it took Rob, 
my brother, my niece's boyfriend. Um, I think almost every man that was there, except for my daddy, to get Uncle Paul up to the room. And then later, Uncle Paul got real confused. And he, he walked out into the middle of our condo, full-blown Winnie the Pooh in it. Just, just a shirt. Twig and giggleberries <laughs> out, son. Thankfully, I didn't see it. Only my poor niece saw it. And she's like, uh, I think Uncle Paul needs some help. I kind of directed him back toward the yeah, bathroom I, there. I think you and Bubba were like, here, let's let's yeah. help. Bless his heart. He was fun. Um, okay, I just my iPad turned off. So oh no, turn back on. Don't make me wing it. Okay. So that was the case of the pet shop murders. So now, Rob, you I wrote that you weren't as connected to the Saks Alexandria area, but you did go to Saks for at least a year. Um but so had you had you heard of this murder? Or had you heard uh, not, that, not that at all? You hadn't heard that a murder had happened. I well, I remember I remember seeing the fishnet and hearing like about something that had stuff that had went down, and then the the ghosty ghost stuff about the the light or or whatever, because the fishnet was close to that light over there, right? Yeah, you like, said it was by the Winn Dixie. Yeah. Well, it's past the Winn Dixie. It's like. There's a lot right before you get to Chapel Hill Funeral Home. Right. Yeah. It And there's like this big drop off, like on the left side of the road. Right. Um, Yeah, that's where it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up hearing the Haunted Rumors. And like, I found a picture from the Aniston Star when this happened. It's legit going to unlock a core memory when you see this picture. Because like, I can vividly, even being, what, because we were like... 92 oh that's a lot we were like six or seven when that happened but i still can like remember it completely random tangential side note do you remember out on i think bottom leatherwood road i did not i did not live near Saks uh at that point in time oh no you didn't um but so okay bottom leatherwood road which is what i think i'm thinking of do you remember there was this fish place that had like the little bitty hush puppies? Do you know what I'm talking about? Seafood World. Yes. I feel like they I had always. little round windows. Yes. I feel like I always heard that building was haunted too. And because no, there's a, no businesses stayed in there very long either. I think Seafood World or whatever. What was it? Seafood what? Seafood World, I think. I think I just pulled a U of where like <laughs> I did not register at all what you said. Um, I think that stayed the longest. I love those little hush puppies. But yeah, I feel mm -hmm. like I heard that it was haunted and then the fishnet slash Wyatt auto sales was haunted because There's it so was much the fishnet. shit in Calhoun County, man. There is. Um, okay. Thank y'all so much for listening to the It's Murder Y'all podcast. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. As usual, I relied heavily on reporting from Aniston Star. So one, one last side note. When I was researching this case and like most like most of the information I got from the Innocent Star. Well, I was like, how in the world is this just gonna end with him being incompetent? I'm like, why was he incompetent? The way that I found out about his medical history is in the state of Alabama, you can pay ten dollars to get access to like criminal court files. Oh, you snooping ass paid that ten dollars. I didn't did. You? I paid my adult, <laughs> I paid my adult money dollars to be nosy. Um, <laughs> like there's logistics to it. Like you have to know specifically who the person was and like all their their name and stuff. But 
there was a lot of information in there. And so I was talking to uh, one of my friends who used to work at, at like the sheriff's office. Cause I was like, is, is this going to be like a, like a HIPAA violation? She's like, no, basically once you're like accused of a crime, you don't have those rights anymore. I was like, okay. Cause no. I don't want to get sued um, for talking about his records. Cause I paid, I paid good money for those records. <laughs> and I'll, that like, I've had to try very hard to keep myself. I'm real proud of them ten dollars. <laughs> I've had to try really hard to not go back and do that for every case because oh my, I'll spend all of our money. You know I'm nosy. I'll know everything. Um, but so that's how I found <laughs> out about his history post conviction because all of that was in the file, and I have all those PDFs. Uh, so thank you again. Uh, as usual, please subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tell your mama. We'll see y'all next week. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Appreciate y'all.